the deep homie guide to the 21st century deep homies across the world welcome back to the deep homie guide to the 21st century today is april 13th 2021 and i hope you're having a bright and sunny spring day wherever you are whether that's actually the weather or whether that's just your spirits uh, welcome back to another week of the Deep Homie Guide, where we like to talk about, really, we're starting to talk about the intersection of human beings, our culture, and our world, and trying to be a better person, all that other stuff, with tech. It's been the trajectory of this show. We've talked a lot about cryptocurrency. We've talked a lot about uh, social media censorship. Uh, and today's and this week's episode is one, one of my good friends uh, from my college days, my Vassar college days. His name is uh, Sam Williams. And he now works as a software engineer, computer programmer in Baltimore. He's gonna talk to us just a little bit about a slightly more informed, slightly more technically informed perspective on computers, on the internet, on blockchain. He's going to explain why he's a little bit bearish on blockchain, different opinion than what we've had so far on this show. And he'll tell you why. He'll tell you a lot about DDoS, DDoS uh, attacks, what we can do about targeted advertisement, and how we can stay encrypted on the web, and what sort of apps we might want to turn to um, if we are concerned about having our data mined and sold to big advertisers, as it's done uh, with the regular business model of social media, Facebook, what have you. So without further ado, here's my conversation with the illustrious Sam Williams. All right, Sam Williams, what's going on, brother? How you doing, man? Not much, not much. Glad to be on the show. Um, just, you know, another day in the life of quarantine. Yes, welcome to the Deep Homie Guide to the 21st Century. And I'm broadcasting here in Syracuse, New York. And you and I are picking back and forth. You're down in uh, Baltimore. Yep, yep, South Baltimore. Yeah, man. Well, you and I have been friends for a long time and uh, going all the way back to the college days. True. Goes back to uh, Professor Murray, philosophy, what, like 101 or whatever. Oh Western. Writing all the, the entire class notes up on the board. You got to copy it down. You don't know what it says. You can't read it, but you got to get that down because that's the notes for the class. Dude, how true. I mean, that was really like a Byzantine freaking class. Like this man's, it was all about trying to decode his handwriting it was and you had to basically what it was is he'd have it all filled out for you on the whiteboard when you got in you start trying to copy it but you're like is that an a or an e or is that is that a y or a z like and then you just kind of have to just pay attention as he talks as he like decodes it for you in real time maybe that's his secret strategy to get people to pay attention but i don't know i was much more of a letter by letter than word by word approach for me do you remember when he just like towards the end of the semester when everything was whatever, like towards Thanksgiving, he just like disappeared for a while and they're like, oh yeah, he like went to India. I don't remember that. <laughs> you don't remember doesn't that, surprise dude? me. You don't remember that? You... It may have been classes I was like not attending anyway. Oh God, freshman year. Missed those uh, days of insane spontaneity and, and just uh, and rigmarole, but I, now we're here in the adult world, dude. You're a computer programmer now, or software engineer, right? Yes, software engineer. That is my title. But yeah, you know, I don't know. There's a special place in uh, in time and geography, but I think for the most part, like things improve year by year as you get older. You just gotta you just gotta look harder at it. 
Well, I'm not, I'm not even uh, upset. I'm happy with my life right now. It's just, it's hard to beat the, the uh, bliss of the belligerence of freshman year at college. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> hard to, it's hard to just beat that, but you can't really live there forever in that space. Cause it's sort of like, if you're trying to be an adult, trying to just stay like, like that, it's not going to, you're probably gonna be like a crackhead or something. But it's not really gonna work out. Well, so like, unlike you, I actually did attend some college, college courses a little bit later, you know, in my twenties. And I got to say, like, it's, it's kind of weird. Well, you're hanging out, you're brushing shoulders with like kids almost like when you're 26 yeah. or seven. So this was, this was like a state school course. So it's like not as uncommon to like, you know, not just go boom, 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 four years, you're done. But it's definitely weird. Like you're just sitting there in class and there's like some 17 year old next to you. Like, yeah, person like can't even go to the liquor store. Well, it's, uh, is it, I mean, it probably is, it's almost honestly probably better because it's probably less distraction. You're like, I can't talk to her. That'd be creepy. So I got to actually just pay attention to this work. <laughs> oh, I got much better grades than my final years in college. I feel like if I went back now, I'd be like a, just A plus in it, dude, because I would have no distractions. All I wanted to do was have, I wanted distractions when I was at Vassar. It's, <laughs> it was just, uh, exactly. it was just a matter of experimentation and, and spontaneity. And I mean, it was fun. I mean, look, there were some good classes here and there, you know, I'll, I'll always remember, but. I, I don't know if I go back in time, I probably would have told myself just to pay more attention, but in, with the classes, but I don't even know if that I would or not. Cause it's just like the social part was almost as fun. I don't know. I mean, you can kind of learn the same stuff. This is my take anyway about education. I think like above a certain, not even very high bar, you kind of learn the same stuff at all the schools, maybe like different focuses if they're like technical or like liberal arts or whatever you're not really paying to learn more stuff when you go to a school like Vassar. It's about like everything outside the classroom. No, that's true. It's a good return on money, but it's, it's something. It's uh, that's true. I mean, all you really need these days is a YouTube account and a live and a library card. And that gives you access to 96% of everything ever. It's true. So, I mean, you probably don't even need the library card really, but if you, you'd have to do no, it. You really reasons. don't, but you have to do well, it unless you don't have a computer. Bro, literally at this point, if you can squeeze together 120 bucks, you'd get something that worked, even if it wouldn't be fast. I mean, and, and phones these days, these are these are supercomputers practically. I mean, I guess like a, a high-end one like this is definitely a supercomputer, but you could get a shitty one for 100, 200 bucks. That would still yeah. pull up Wikipedia. Well, there are limitations, of course, but we don't have to get deep in the weeds on that. Well, well what do you mean by limitations? Well, okay. I mean, this is a technical show, sure, so... I mean, one of the things you often do in like a good CS program at school is like, you'll actually, you'll be writing and compiling programs on a computer. Yeah. So not all like architectures, which is like the design of the processor inside of the device. There's not necessarily a compiler to run code on all of those devices. Oh, I see. In particular, if you want to learn about say Intel x86 assembly language, which is essentially what runs on all these like desktops and laptops you can't run that code on a phone oh i understand now i'm sorry I, I was i'm getting in the weeds a bit i was thinking about the context of learning like liberal right. arts or what you were saying the general college education where you're learning about writing and general uh whatever um oh for sure i mean for skills and quantitative skills but you're right if you're going to go for a cs education you're going to need specific hardware 
would that would with an M1 the new Apple software chips the M1 would you be able to run that Intel language on that? No. So that's actually um, that's part of what makes that news a very big deal. Um, in part for people like me, I work at a company where we support our software on Mac and Windows. Um, it, it's not like a terrible hardship, but we do suddenly have to do a whole lot of testing to see that our code compiles correctly for this different architecture. Mm. Like if you take like, I don't know, say the regular Mac version of Vectorworks from a few years ago and you try to run it on an M1, like I think they have some kind of emulation mode so it can kind of work, but it will be very, it will not be the optimal experience. I believe it must have some sort of emulation mode because I, I know you can still, like the new M1 chips, hypothetically very fast and it and it's for for software that's like optimized for it like apple software final cut logic and all that it's lightning speed but it's like you can still run uh adobe products but it's going to be like there's like lags and problems at this time so I yeah but eventually everyone will will make native builds for that at least yeah. all the big companies will and it will run fast there are well, some exceptions that like intel's and amd processors are better for but very kind of niche things using special instructions. All right, well, let's just get right into it then because uh, let's start with the first question. Like we're going into the 21st century, everything's, the technology is, is so much per, more pervasive now than ever. And it's kind, of, it's kind of insane. It's kind of cool that you ended up studying software uh, and stu computer science in the sense that like, uh, you're a little bit fluent in, this, in, in, in all this tech that's surrounding us. Like, yo, if, like, if my phone stopped working, if, if my car even stopped working, which has a computer in it, even, even an old car has a computer in it. Like, I don't have any silicon engineering. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what the hell to do. Like, it's, we're, we're increasingly surrounded by things we have no idea how to fix or how to, how to deal with. At least you have some of that knowledge. Uh, but whatever. What is a computer, Sam? What why is, is it so important now? What, is, what the fuck is a computer? Well, so you can let me, let me know how deep you want to get into this. But I think the simplest explanation you can give that's like, still kind of correct is a computer is just like a box that does exactly what you tell it to do and i mean exactly in like the sense of like a petulant child where like you give them an instruction but like you weren't quite precise enough and just to resist like the child like does the most ridiculous literal interpretation of what you said okay like, so that is what a computer is so it's the peanut butter and jelly sandwich thought experiment that everybody did in sixth grade sixth grade do you know what i'm talking about yeah, yeah, we did that in um, some kind of computer class in high school, actually. And the, you know, the teacher just stands up there and like just does like stupid <laughs> peanut butter all over the desk or whatever. Oh, you said spread it. You said spread it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you are the most petulant individual of all time. Um, but okay. I think you can go kind of far with that idea. Um, you know, everything that goes wrong with the computer is a result of a human not being specific enough and telling it what to do. And those instructions, would you call that an algorithm? Would you call that code? Um, yeah, an algorithm is a certain, I forget exactly the definition of algorithm years ago in school. <laughs> well, don't worry, but, it's, it's not a test. It's just but yeah, that's, that's all fair to call. When, although when I say instructions, I'm usually talking about actual like, um, programming language that the, the processor understands itself that humans humans don't usually write code in that language and the code it's it's ultimately going to be a series of ones and zeros right binary e yes 
Yes. It's going to translate to that for the computer because that's really all a computer knows is on off. And that's, and those iterations on off can create everything digital. Yeah, pretty much. Although I, you know, the thing that I think a lot of people miss when they say like, you know, computers only understand ones and zeros. I mean, they understand, I mean, understand, uh, you understand that like binary, like decimal, all this is just sort of arbitrary ways to like write numbers down. Mm. In I certain know. ways, like binary is natural to a computer, but a lot of like all the rules about manipulating integers that like we understand when we do math, like the computer works in a very similar way. You can write the number as binary, as uh, octal, which is like a base eight system. But yeah, we're getting in the weeds. So you're saying that computers also, in addition to the binary code, kind of could perform functions somewhat is sort of what you're saying? Or are you saying functions are a rendition of? I'm de-emphasizing the binariness of computers. Okay, well, when you get on the internet, right, the internet protocol and you send out this stream to you, the packets are like the switched packets. It's like, it's just sending out different bits of information. And those are ones and zeros, like my image right now and my audio that does get translated to ones and zeros, right? Over the internet. And then to get Probably to your computer. Yes. Probably yes. That's the way, um, you know, signals are transmitted over wires. Right. Is, you know, there's like sort of just a, a normal voltage that says like, hey, what's up? Like we're actually connected. And there's a high voltage and a low, one being zero, one. But there are different ways of encoding these things. You could have like several high voltages, several low. So actually okay. each pulse is maybe encoding, I don't know, two, three bits. But yeah, you're, you're essentially correct. So, okay. So when you're talking about cabling and you're talking about connecting computers together, that's a, is that essentially what the internet is? Like the internet, it evolved from the Stanford UCLA experiments in the 60s and all that. And it, it's and it was released in 92 or 93 on, under the Clinton administration as public use. But it's essentially computers tied together with big, long ass broadband wires, which are, yeah. are allowing us to, to connect uh, our computer processes and, and talk and, and, and all that. Is that basically all the Internet is? Um, I mean, that's what the Internet itself is, is this system of connections. There's a lot of like sophisticated routing equipment that, you know, actually keeps all this, all these packets going in the right direction. But right. Yeah, the Internet literally just is a large network of computers. Some of the computers do very different things than other computers. Right. Well, you have servers on the one end and you have just like the, the client on the other for to be to be broad. Right. Like you have. Like, oh, yeah, that's pretty much all there is there's servers and clients of servers yeah and and it's going in between vis-a-vis -vis, i don't know modems and wires and advanced switching equipment and finding the most efficient route in real time or and all that stuff it's really it's really advanced i mean we've come such a long way since the dial-up in the 90s right you remember dial-up when we were really young i do remember dial-up and you're like who's on the phone or who's on the internet like i can't get on my aim account and talk to courtney yeah, it was really in my house. It was really like, who's using the internet? Like, don't you know? Like, we we might get phone calls. Like, yeah, it's uh, and now that phone line doesn't ring anymore. I mean, do you do your parents still have a a hard line uh, phone? Um, they do actually, but um, for reasons I won't get into on on the pod. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know this is like a sensitive subject. <laughs> but um, I mean, like everybody else, the vast majority of stuff they get over the phone is um 
you know, spam. Yeah. You know, anybody they really want to talk to cell phone. I gotcha. Yeah. I mean, my parents, I think they still have it and they've been, but then they got rid of the provider and then they've wanted to switch over to something else, but so they've still got the, the line sitting there the telephone still sitting there in the kitchen, but I don't think it's connected. It's uh, it's not really, it's just, <laughs> it gives a sense of, you know, security, comfort, familiarity. I don't know. I like that. They're also important from, you know, the devices we bring into our homes. No, I mean, really, I mean, that's really where this podcast kind of lives is that intersection of, of, of lifestyle and tech, you know, it's uh, and I think it's weird. We're living in a really weird time. And I've talked about it on the podcast and it's the most cliche thing in the world where it's like, if you like, if you leave home without this thing, without your cell phone, you might feel like you're missing like a left hand or something or a right hand. You might feel like you're missing a limb. It's like, it's just weird. You're like, oh, I, I need to know something. We're, I don't have my supercomputer with me. How do I find out this trivial piece or, of or like, how do I get there? Say again? Or how do I get there? How um, do I get there? Yeah. Although this is something I do, like if I know exactly where I'm going, I know I'm going there, maybe one other place, I know how to get all those places. Sometimes I do leave the phone at home, just ballsy, just to, you know, be a little lighter in the pocket, you know? Yeah. I mean, I truly, I truly believe, what do you think about this? We're getting a little bit uh, off the, uh, whatever. I, you know, Neuralink, right? Elon Musk, Neuralink. Actually, oh, is that the like brain computer interface? Yeah, didn't you see the 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 monkey playing pong last week with his brain? Um, I heard about it. Honestly, I don't really click on a lot of news about Elon. Well, why he's over he's overrated. Well, his bit class too high. What's um, that? I think a lot of the things he says are, you know, turn out not to be exactly correct or not correct in the most exciting way that they seemed. Yeah. I'll so we'll see. We'll see. Well, the whole point of the Neuralink interface is going to be to connect the brain and the digital world directly. And it's, I think the initial impulse is to attempt to allow, uh, to bypass circuits in the brain, by, bypass certain neurons and allow people who are paraplegic or paralyzed to be able to, to walk again and all that other stuff. And I think that's really I'm a noble like cause. And then, but I think the, the ultimate, I, I truly believe the ultimate thing is just going to have the chip in the brain so you can just access your phone without or your, your phone the internet without having to deal with a half pound piece of metal and and and, and glass that's what i truly oh, think man, is, dude. It's, it's gonna be a long it's gonna be a long time before i'm okay with that oh i'm not okay with it all our whole generation is not gonna be okay with it dude nobody's gonna be okay with it but uh look our generation will die and i'm not <laughs> and even saying like a philosophical problem just like like the security implications like we 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 do much better than we did, but we're really quite bad at making computers secure. So do you think that cryptocurrency is a secure, all those protocols, all that uh, key, dual key authentication and all the wallets and all that stuff, is that is that a secure protocol for sending money across the internet? Well, so something that like some people miss is that there's there's sort of like two different levels of of security when we're talking about all this crypto stuff there's like whatever the algorithm itself is and the math behind it um often the math behind these things are you know it really is just like airtight like you cannot bust that thing open without just an absurd amount of computing power maybe more than could ever be assembled in the universe who knows 
Occasionally, people find little issues in the math over time, and a certain algorithm is not considered secure anymore. But really, the much bigger problem is that you have people like me just like sitting, typing onto a keyboard and turning this like abstract math into a computer program. And inevitably, when humans are, this comes back to what I said, inevitably, when humans are giving instructions to a computer, they make mistakes. So it isn't, it isn't stuff like, oh, like some incredible new math was discovered that invalidated that, like, you know, crypto. It'll be like some guy forgot to check how long a string was somewhere, and now you can control the entire computer. Right, right. Like some hacker could just figure that out, that, that weakness and then exploit it, and then all of a sudden start siphoning out the, the Bitcoins if you were Yeah, there are certain kinds of mistakes that get made all over the place. Um, they, I mean, there's a certain language C, which is used for a lot of like low level uh, firmware and drivers and people that are familiar with C are familiar with like the common mistakes that you can make and look for them. And it turns out that there are just so many of these mistakes waiting to be found and allow people to take over systems. Yeah, human error, I mean, that's that's one of the things you're right when you're writing the actual code when you're writing the actual algorithm that's where the error can come in because you're saying the the computer is more or less or uh, I hate to call it perfect but it's just executing what what was programmed it just it, for the most part it will do that you know I think I mean? pedantic is the word pedantic pedantic okay so it's pedantic because it just does exactly as it's told yes all right and well the funny thing too about this whole digital world and like you're saying yeah there's always going to be uh glaring problems and things like that just because of the nature of human foibles and error uh is there let's think well what what about what about just the the, the more more uh mundane issue of not even of that level of exploit but what about the more mundane issue of just like everything going digital and when the digital doesn't work how how stupid it is like Okay, last week, I talked about this on the podcast last week, but it doesn't matter. Literally, uh, I, I think I went to two or three coffee shops that week. And uh, for some reason, out of two or the three coffee shops, it, at some point, the computer went down. And the barista was like, oh my God, like there's some old lady at the, at the one place. And the old lady comes up, hi, I'd like to have a coffee. And the barista's like, oh, our system is down. I don't know what to do. I can't serve you any coffee. And I'm over here sitting there like, just take, just give her some coffee and, you know, just give her, take two bucks or something. I don't know. She's like, I can't open the register. And then something similar happened in another coffee shop that week when I was like, uh, I had ordered a sandwich and some coffee to get the coffee to me. And I'm over there sitting there waiting, twiddling my thumbs on my phone. And I wait like 10, 15 minutes. And I'm like, Hey, uh, do you guys remember that sandwich? And then he's like, oh yeah, just, just, just a second. And then the cook comes out, he's like, there ain't no sandwich. And, and then so <laughs> the guy at the front was like, we've been having problems with our system all week. I put it in, but he didn't see it. I'm like, you guys are five feet from each other. <laughs> but this is like, and, and the thing is that the funniest part is that's like I said, it's Byzantine. Most people besides yourself, like most people don't have a damn clue about these machines and this digital and software and, and code. And so they're just like, we don't, we can't serve the coffee anymore. The register won't open because the computer won't work. 
And is that going to be an increasing problem as everything is digitized and there's no mechanical circuits? Well, let me start off and say, like, you know, when I worked in a restaurant, like, the system did go down several times. And that was absolutely not an excuse to, like, not <laughs> serve somebody who came in and was willing to give you money. Like, you take the cash, you do the math on a piece of paper, you, like, write down credit card numbers, like, whatever it takes. Like, you give them the food and you take their money. You don't, like, not sell things to people i know that's how i was laughing so hard i was like bro what the, what what are you doing and she was like i can't open the register which i guess is sort of thing. i mean that that's true like that's you go to thing. a lot of these places and they really can't um some of that isn't new though it's yeah well, it's so new-ish a... new this technology stuff this digital stuff but to let me address this and then i'll get to the, the original question <laughs> I think outside of computers, like humans just have this tendency to create bureaucracy over time. Yeah. Like I, I'll give you a story. A few weeks ago, I was, you know, browsing Craigslist late at night and I, I found this guitar and I just hit up the dude. I'm like, I want to buy this guitar. And so we met in Guitar Center the next day, but I didn't have quite the correct denomination to pay for it. So I'm like, hey, I'm just going to run right into the Guitar Center. I'll get some change. So I run up to the guy at the register. I'm like, hey, man, can you give me two tens for a 20? I will be a customer right after I buy this guitar outside. I need to buy strings from you, but I need this money first to buy the guitar. He's like, oh, uh, you know, I, I can't. I need the key. Only the manager has the key. I can't access the cash. So computer or not, like, yeah, the guy just can't open the drawer if the manager isn't there. And uh, I didn't buy any strings from him. Yeah, because of his incompetency. Well, it's not his fault. It's just the whole organization is not set up to empower like the person in front of the cash drawer to make a reasonable decision about making change for people. I know, but I feel like it should be because they got so many cameras on that guy. It's like, you see, if he really somehow is trying to steal from the cash drawer, we're going to figure it out. But yeah, I understand your point. They want to, they, it's, it's just how power ends up getting bureaucratized and we just make, create endless and stupid titles for people and whatever. It's just protocol, top down type stuff. I, that's why I like grassroots type things. I like a narco organization. I like mm -hmm. yourself because you eliminate a lot of that Kafka-esque, like the castle, the trial type bullshit where it's like, or it's like Terry Gilliam's Brazil where it's like, well, you need to go to room 576 in order to get that document and the document. And then after that, you have to go to, and you go there and they're like, oh no, you need to go to the basement floor to get, go to get document 6.725. And it's like that, you know, that whole. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your life is much better if you can talk to somebody who actually has a stake in the transaction. Yeah. At least you're, what, you know, you're shopping. And that's, and that's really actually part of the promise of, of Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency is a decentralized network. So we have fewer third party nodes to have to deal with like little managers and banks and little things in between. You got to wait three days for the money to correct all that stuff. That's sort of co the coolest part about crypto. Like if you had, if you had just had that exchange, for example, if we, if we all were just using Bitcoin, you could have just been like to the guy, you, you didn't need no change. You could have just told the guy with the guitar. Okay. You're going to hand me this guitar. Well, what kind of guitar was it by the way? Did you have oh, the I, got, um, I got this. Uh, it's honestly not a nice guitar. It's just like an old Abana's uh, seven string. I don't even know how to play a seven string. I just saw it for like 250. I'm like, okay, I need that. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Seven string, man, that's that's interesting. You said Havana, so it's like a uh, acoustic style or? No, style? no, it's an electric. 
Oh, okay. I just heard Havana. I thought of Cuba. No, no, no. Habana. <laughs> Habanas. Habanos? No, dude. I B A N E C. I thought that's an Ibanez. Oh, maybe it is an Ibanez. Oh I, mean, I don't know how to say this. <laughs> it looks like a Banez to me. It's dude. like a Latin pronunciation. Ibanez. I bought the Ibanez. <laughs> All right, cool, dude. Yeah, the good old. But, so yeah, you know, I wouldn't have needed change. I just, you know, I would have had to pay the entire ten dollars in the transaction fee. Yeah, is that really that bad? Is it really that high at this point on Bitcoin? Um, I think it was bad. around. It was around maybe five or seven the last time I did any Bitcoin transactions. Gotcha. That was uh, a year ago, or maybe two years ago, though. Yeah, that's that is fair. That's true. Um, I think there's definitely other networks with lower transaction fees, but. Um, that's true. And, uh, and, and, and also Bitcoin is very slow as everybody's talked about the scalability problem with that and the way that the blocks can only write so many at any given time and, and all that stuff. Um, the hash rate, but, um, yeah, is this, uh, so like distributed computing in general, that is kind of like, it started with the internet, right? You have more than one computer sort of able to work together on any given problem. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So yeah, we sort of talk about different levels of parallelism, which is, you know, like different tasks making progress on them at the same time. Yeah. Um, to some extent, it can take place inside a single core of your computer. It can take place in, inside of like several cores at the same time in your processor. Mm. You can have more than one processor in the same computer. And then when you finally scale up a bunch, you can have a bunch of computers in the same data center. Or you can have a huge pool of computers across like multiple data centers and so yeah. on and so forth. Um, it is a very big deal. I can't say I really do much work that involves that. So your company at Vectorworks, you make software. You guys don't do a ton of distributed computing type style. It's just just projects. Yeah, everybody does their own individual uh, addition to the project or, or what? Or is it all in, the, in a cloud? Because that's a form of distributed computing where you're just all accessing the same updated files, right? Um, so we're a decidedly uh, old school style of software company. We make software that is designed to run on a single computer and design, okay. you know, like buildings and, you know, make drafts, that type of No, thing. I meant like when you guys are, are working on it yourself. Oh, when we're working? Um, Keep talking, I just gotta, I gotta plug this computer in. Sure, sure, <laughs> I guess you could call it some sort of distributed computing. Um, I don't, to me, that doesn't really make sense as a way to describe um, people working on code on their own computers and then, you know, submitting the code. But I mean, if you, you could yeah. do it that way. I guess you're saying, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a stretch. It's more like if, honestly, it's much closer to like, if you say you're in a group and you're like writing some paper or something, you know, like everybody has their own section of the paper that they're responsible for writing but they're working on the same like Google Docs. Is Got that it. distributed computing? Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. I guess I'm making a stretch here to, to call that that, but it is in a way, but obviously it's, it's sort of an abstraction, whereas distributed computing technically would be, like you said, same, same set of problems and it's, they're all the cores are working on it at once or the different, like it's yeah. sort of, I would think of it more like, you know, like Netflix. Netflix has to serve an incredible amount of video to like places all over the world. Right. So it has, you know, a place where it lives and it also has like a bunch of caches that are like much closer to the, 
whatever consumer is trying to stream that video. Gotcha. So that to me is like distributed computing. Right. The sense of delivering video, but it could also be like, oh, I'm trying to run some like huge physics simulation and I'm like renting, you know, like computers and just like maxing out the CPU like all over the country. Folding at home, if you ever heard of that. Folding at home is a kind of a cool project. I believe it's it's simulating protein folding. I believe in an attempt to find a cure for cancer, but don't quote hmm. me on that one. Um, but the cool thing about it is that anybody can volunteer to help with folding at home. You basically oh. just let them run this very expensive code on your whatever free hardware you have. Huh. Using. That's interesting, actually. I'm just looking at it right now. That's far out. So it's kind of like... Um... Like uh, if you were mining for Bitcoin, but instead of mining for Bitcoin, you're just doing a service to humanity. Yeah, yeah. Main difference being you're not being paid. Yeah, totally not getting paid, but you're still, <laughs> they're using your processor to help. Uh, exactly, yeah. Got you. That's far out. One of the world's fastest computing systems. Huh. Yeah, that's an old one too. They've been doing that for a long time. Yeah, since October 1st, 2000. That's far out, man. Thanks for pointing that out. That's an interesting thing to look at. Um, so like, is blockchain, is it, a, is it a promise of decentralization for, for value networks, for value transactions or not, in your opinion? You know, I'm sure blockchain will turn out to be very useful for certain kinds of things. I'm, uh, I gotta say kind of bearish on the idea that it's going to revolutionize the entire world. You know, like every decade or so, you know, there are a bunch of different technologies that people, you know, are boosting and trying to say it's going to change everything. It's going to be the next big thing. And one or two of them does and all the rest of them don't. And you almost don't think about them anymore after they've faded from relevance. Like this is not the best comparison, but do you remember like 3D TV? <laughs> um, I was going to ask you for an example. Maybe, maybe I remember seeing some ads for it when we were at Vassar, maybe kind of thing. Is maybe like five to seven years ago. Um, about when we were at Vassar. Yeah, I think at that time, maybe like 4K was sort of established at the very, very high end. Yeah, yeah, Feel a lot of people had monitors then. Yeah. Manufacturers are like, you know, we can't just keep cramming pixels into this. Eventually people are going to get bored. What we can do is like this 3D. We can like make a TV that looks like it's in 3D. Yeah, um, And they're like, people are going to love it. Like, it's going to totally re revolutionize the television industry. Like, they've yeah. never seen this before. Yeah. And people saw it, and they mostly got a headache, and no one wanted it. <laughs> That's true. And I mean, also, I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting for the comeback of Smell-O-Vision. I need to bring that yeah, up. That. <laughs> you know, but like, think of, try, try and like get yourself into this like real boosterism like kind of mind, and think about like, okay, like, you know, We've been increasing like audio and video like reproduction technology for decades, but like never once has someone thought to extend it into a third dimension. We're gonna be the first to do it. Like, do you want to get in at the ground floor? Like when it's still cheap or not? Like, do you, do you want money? Yeah. And it turns out, you know, nobody actually wants to smell what a movie would smell like. You know? <laughs> Yeah, it's fair. I, I, you're right. It's always going to be uh, just a few paradigm shifters that end up winning in the whole bunch. And there's a lot of people who think that there's a bunch of promise all over. Um, I guess it seems like blockchain's not going away, though. It's been around now since 09 or so or 10. And uh, it's only obviously 
its actual value has increased on the market, but also just like its use has also started to increase a little bit. You can buy a Tesla with Bitcoin and all that stuff. And uh, I don't know, my, my thing is, I think it's a pretty powerful technology. I, I can see it as uh, hypothetically a pretty secure protocol for sending money. Sure, you're right. There's uh, scalability problems, particularly with Bitcoin itself and high transaction fees. But, um, you know, I mean, like when I, like if I send money to my sister in California with PayPal, I got to wait. Well, no, actually, no, she might get it, but it might be on credit or something. I don't know. Like or sometimes or if you better, better, better. Yeah. If I get money paid to me in my Venmo account, I want to transfer it to my bank account. It's like, all right, if you don't pay, it's going to take about three, four days for this to transfer. Is that all right? I'm like, yeah. So I won't see that money for four days. Whereas the promise of blockchain technology is a lot, a lot faster, fewer intermediaries, fewer banks, anything in between clearing houses in between. Um, it seems to me like pretty awesome. It's almost like as good as cash, although I guess it's a lot more trackable than cash. Like really blockchain is the IRS's best friend. People, it's weird that Bitcoin got this whole reputation as like this black market, like, oh, they're selling things on the Silk Road. They're selling cocaine on the Silk Road with fucking Bitcoin. But like really, it's actually a lot more trackable than cash. The whole point is that everybody sees yeah. the ledger at any yeah. given time. Yeah, so, and I don't mean to just like totally like dump on like, you know, blockchain and Bitcoin entirely. I just, I'm sure it will become very useful in certain niches. But even in the example that you gave, I don't really see how it has a huge advantage. Um, what do you mean? You if know, ultimately, with the money in, 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 in two hours versus four days, is that not a massive advantage? Liquidity well, you wise? can send money in two days. You just have to pay a wire fee. Okay, so you're, gonna have to, you're right. Okay, so you have to pay. So what I'm saying is like, Anytime you actually have, you know, significant amount of capital that needs to be used to process this transaction, or you have, you know, actual humans that need to be involved and make sure the transaction makes sense, there's no way that is going to be free. The cost might be hidden, but it exists somewhere. You know, like wires cost money because two, at least two people, one at each bank is looking at this and, I mean, they're figuring out, are you sending money to terrorists? But more likely, like, you know, does grandma really want to wire $100,000 to this random dude's bank that she doesn't know and has never sent money to before? Like, does she really want to do that? Should we, like, get somebody else involved? I think people don't always think about these kinds of things when they talk about the, the decentralized future. In a lot of ways, it can be a feature that it takes time for money to settle. Yeah, I guess so. But, I mean... I don't know. I, I know that uh, I think that a bigger use case might be a border, a border uh, exchange like across the world. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot more hiccuping and a lot more sl slowness, slovenliness, even still on top of that. Like if you want to send money to uh, Maui or I don't know, China or, or Germany, uh, it's, a, it's a lot slower even than what I've been talking about with Venmo and PayPal or two day clearing. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, you got to deal with, uh, uh, you know, uh, converting money to, and there's actually a project that's interesting called XLM Stellar Lumens, which is attempting to be a, a super low fee uh, borderless currency that allows you to trans to transfer U.S. dollars to Germany in, in in seconds or minutes at like an extraordinary low low cost. So, I mean, yeah, I see you're saying there's definitely a, some some desire for oversight. Um, my other thing too is that like. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know how the banks, like if the banks are as like, so, okay. If you look at like the root of like every single conspiracy theory ever, 
like the the common mm. denominator uh well one of the major common denominators of every conspiracy th theory ever is that oh the banks have all this power the banks have so much power like ever since 1913 when the central bank like mafia like took over the us and and did you know the central bank is a private organization and all that stuff that's always the lowest common denominator of like every conspiracy right so if it's true that the banks have like a lot of power i don't really see them just like laying over and like letting like this de decentralized finance just like take over and get rid of the need for a central bank or a treasury no absolutely not but i don't really feel that they're that badly threatened in fact one of the one of the obvious use cases for blockchain that i would see would be banks actually handling transactions between each other um because you know when you interact with a bank there's a whole system of rules that basically protect you i mean yeah. maybe it's not the best in america that it is of all the countries everywhere but like there are a lot of ways that you could lose money out of an account where the bank is actually required to make you whole. Mm -hmm. So I really don't think the average right. consumer is going to see a huge value in basically having to take on all of this insurance and effectively insuring their own money and providing their own security for their money themselves. That's true. You're talking about the, it's like the FDIC in general, it's insured up to like 100,000 kind of thing per bank account. Well, so that's in the case of a bank run. Um, mm. I'm talking more about stuff like what happens if somebody steals your credit card and spends it? Yeah, they're really There's almost they're really no risk to you. They're so good about that. If somebody hacks your bank account and just withdraws all the money, the bank has to fix that for you. Yeah. Now, if you give somebody your credentials and they use it, then the bank can tell you to pound, to pound sand. But I mean, that's dumb, obviously. Man, you're playing a good devil's advocate over here. Fucking, you would have, you would have been a red coat in 1776, Sam. I'm, what, I, I can't, <laughs> I'm, I have a pessimistic nature. Um, I think Fucking the way Bennington, that are, Bennington Arnold, what's his name? Whatever. The way that things are have a lot of inertia to them. It takes a lot to change them. No, it's true. I mean, I like, I, a lot of, you're making really good points, man. It's true, like, about the whole insurance on the bank account it's true about how good they are with credit card uh fraud like i've never had a case where my credit card was stolen or lost where they've been where the bank didn't just be like oh yeah uh here's like all the money back like no problem like it was really weird like i've never had it like i never even had to get a police report or anything like that it's they're just so yeah. good about that stuff and one of the benefits of the current system is that as long as they catch it relatively soon it doesn't even really cost them that much money to unwind it right I mean, if the money got, you know, from this account here and got sent over to like, you know, Joe Blow, like down, I don't know, wherever his account, they just call it, talk to that bank and they're like, uh, this was fraudulent. Another bank is like, okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's figure out numbers here, put them in over there, like all good. All right. Uh, so let's get into the, the meat and potatoes meat. of this. All right. Of uh, a little bit of meat. The big tech stuff the big tech centralization stuff we all know I'm, i'll read a couple examples here uh that i put together you and i've talked a little bit about uh, we talked a little bit about parlor before uh parlor being the uh twitter alternative uh, sort of people can talk to each other it's less censored on there people can say uh less nice things on there about certain groups or whatever and also it was like it was uh sort of 
cited as a big nexus point on the internet for the January 6th insurrection of the Trump supporters at the Capitol. Um, so that's, and then after that went down, well, at first it was like Amazon Web Services tried to deny, deny them the server, I believe, right? Uh, on the internet or hosting rather. And I believe yes. that's the order of events. Then they were denied, uh, their app wasn't allowed to get into the Apple store or the Google Play store. Um, and then I think they eventually got back online with one of those like Russian companies or something like that, like Cloudflare or Mega or something like that. You know, they were able to get up oh, again. I mean, Cloudflare is uh, not a Russian company. I believe Cloudflare also denied. Um, okay. Do you know what Cloudflare does, by the way? I think that might be useful for this. No, I don't know. I thought for some reason I thought Cloudflare, Cloud, I thought they were like one of those companies that like often would host things that others wouldn't, but maybe I'm wrong. Cloudflare is not a host. Or at least uh, not primarily a host. Okay. Um, do you know what like a, a DDoS is? No. Okay. Um, I mean, maybe I'm cutting you off a little too early in the sequence of the well, It's time. okay. Talk about this, Parler. Talk about Parler because that's basically the story. They and now they still can't get into the app store. There's, there's, this, this is this is gonna this is gonna tie into it. So sure. you know, like way back in the day, like I mean, it was never easy, like trivial to host your own website. But back in the day, you know, if you if you knew about computers, you could kind of do it. Like people, you register a domain, people can like come and see what you got, read, whatever. Um, but a very potent weapon that trolls could use back in the day is called the, the DDoS, which is basically you get a bunch of different computers that use their entire upload bandwidth to send packets at this one server. Okay. And if a server is receiving more income, incoming packets than it can actually process, first off, one of two things can happen. Its total download bandwidth can get taken up and it right. can't see the legitimate requests from people that are really trying to use the thing. Okay. Um, this is called, also, this I mean, called a DDoS attack? Something yeah, like it's called a distributed denial of service. Okay, okay. Um, it's a denial of service because you're overflowing the server's capacity to handle requests. Gotcha. So it can't serve requests anymore. I gotcha. And it's distributed because you do it in a lot of different places. Okay. So, I mean, 4chan, for instance, like did a lot of this stuff back, in, I guess the decade before last. They would just get like, you know, a bunch of random kids, like, you know, teenagers in their parents' basement or whatever. They all like join into the, the war room and they just start like packet flooding this particular IP address. And it takes the server down. They, um, who are they their targets? Who, 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 do you remember any of their targets in like 08 or yes, 09? Yes. Whatever. Um, so you remember the whole thing with mega upload, Kim.com? Yeah. So they actually, first they took down the Department of, Jeb, Department of Justice homepage. Who did? Just random angry nerds on the internet. Oh, oh, in response to the whole yeah, yeah. of mega.nz and yeah, uh, so they, they took down the DOG website, DOJ. I mean, dang. Um, also later someone ended up hacking the website, but that's sort of on a different note and like displayed some funny message on the landing screen. Um, <laughs> so anyways, way, way back in the day, this was a serious problem and it continues to be a serious threat, um, to really anyone who hosts a popular website. There's mm. always people that are trying to take down popular websites, not even for any real reason, just it's fun, I guess. Um, now, if you're popular, well-known, and a political page, people suddenly have a real motivation to try and take down the site. 
Um, so what Cloudflare does as a service is basically sit between your website and the rest of the internet and basically just stand there and just like get hit all day. Oh, uh, okay. So they're, they're a specialized DDoS attack defense. Yes. Why did I, why would I have thought of Cloudflare then? I don't know why, like they don't do any hosting. They're only doing the. Security. I believe that's their entire business. Um, they were. They were in the news a few years ago because they booted off, I think, the Daily Stormer. Okay. And it was a big news story because a that was the first that was the first customer that they ever denied their services to. Got you. Um, and the CEO just like did it in a very impulsive move that he even came out and publicly said he regretted and he really wished he hadn't done that and set that precedent. Fast forward a few years, it's somewhat routine for them to take down or not take down but to kick certain um websites off their service gotcha so what, I, what i'm getting at here is that it's now very capital intensive to put up a website that can't be taken down by denial of service attacks if a lot of people know about it so like right now parlor is no longer being serviced by cloudflare for protection I don't know exactly who they're using for that sort of protection but yeah they're certainly not on cloudflare so there are alternatives, but not, and is the technology not going to necessarily be as good as Cloudflare or something? Is Cloudflare the leading uh, um, or they saw sort of whatever? So this gets a little bit out of my area of knowledge. Um, gotcha. There are ways that you can be clever and decrease the amount of resources you need to defend against denial of service attacks. But as far as I understand, the main thing you need is just a huge amount of bandwidth so that you can't be um so that you can't be flooded by income. so it'd be hard to flood google because they have probably the most bandwidth you can't yeah you really can't you need to have like just you have to just build like a two trillion dollar supercomputer like there's no way i doubt if all of the home internet connections in the entire world join forces against google <laughs> any of its endpoints well okay but just give us a little bit of your take on like so we had parlor and then and, and i can just name more people like uh, rogan's being censored on spotify they've taken over 42 of his old episodes including alex jones and dave asprey bulletproof coffee and also just some random ones with comedians somehow they took off uh and you know of course we've had uh youtube took off the video with uh governor desantis roundtable recently a covid roundtable where we had a few doctors the doctors were literally from like harvard and oxford but they were saying things like kids don't necessarily have to wear a mask and youtube denied the video because it was against their COVID-19 policy. How do you feel about this overall censorship of big tech? And I mean, where are we gonna, what's the average person to do about it? Is there anything that we do about it? Are there new trends? What's, what, what's going on with all this? What do you think? Um, so I guess there are a few points to be made. Um, the first yeah. is, and I find, I don't know if it's a ironic, but it's certainly interesting that this is the argument of the left because it's really more of a standard conservative argument on other topics. But it's one I happen to agree with. It's, um, you know, these are private companies and private web properties. Mm -hmm. So they're certainly within their rights not to spend their own money to host stuff that they don't want to host. Right. Um, I see that. I mean, you know, yeah. but, you know, it's sort of like as they become the de facto common forum or public forum for, for because especially as the app stores end up centralizing more and more content, you can only get Google Play approved apps. You can only get Apple Store approved apps. Uh, yeah, they're just, exactly. They're effectively increasing. And what are you supposed to do? Form a new 
phone company. I'm going to go ahead and form a new, oh yeah, we're going to have that. We're going to have the orange phone and everyone's going to somehow adopt it. I mean, there's no, it's sort of, uh, I see what you're saying, but there, there's very much monopolies uh, in the, in the space. Yeah. And that's what I was sort of getting at with this whole spiel about Cloudflare and the service they provide and how capital intensive it is. It would, you, you could kind of just say that and leave it at that if there were a reasonable place to go. You see what I'm saying? Like, you can't, if you have, if you have some sort of political ideology that's outside of whatever the current Overton window is, you really can't host a website for that that isn't constantly going to be under assault from attacks that are actually not legal to perform, but they're basically impossible to track down people that did it, at least in any way that would meaningfully stop them. Um, so and I think, you know, this is something that now of all people, you know, conservatives are talking a lot about, at least the ones that I think are a little bit more reasonable are saying, you know, what this really is, is an antitrust issue. It should not be the case that two or three organizations can basically decide what is and isn't acceptable to publish on the internet. And I think really we ought to be able to agree with that, regardless of how we feel about Parler in particular. So like, what would you say, I'll play devil's advocate here and, and play uh, Jack Dorsey and say, hey man, there's no, I'm not, I don't want um, anti-Semitism on my platform. I don't want Nazis talking about how you know Jews are the issue? I don't want I don't want uh, KKK members coming on here and saying, you know, uh, the white race is the best race and all this other stuff because those words, um, you know, are tantamount to violence since they can so easily lead to violence. So I just don't want that on my platform, dude. Um, I actually think that is okay for Jack Dorsey to say, um, although I really didn't hear him saying much of that until it became clear that Trump was not likely to win you know, the re-election. Well, how do you feel about that in particular? The fact that the social media companies in some odd way coordinated to uh, silence a sitting president of the United States. As much of a rascal as he was in, in lots of ways, and, as, and you, can, you can argue that he was certainly making uh, false claims, I guess. But even still, he, they censored a sitting American president. They had more power than he did, in a way. I mean, again, I do think individually it's okay for them to do that. What's not okay is the fact that so few of them had to come to the same conclusion to basically boot him off of social media. Do you see what I'm, the distinction I'm making here? Yeah, you're saying, if, if, you know, if, there were, like, if there was a zillion companies and seven out of the 20 of them were like, we don't want them, you'd probably be like, all right. But it's like, because there's like five major companies and they all said, they all decided like in tandem, you're saying there's a trust issue there, an antitrust issue there. Yes, I think, and it's, I don't even know how it would make sense to like break up these companies. I mean, certain Facebook, you could see how it could become three different platforms that were totally you know, detangled from each other. What, Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram? Yeah. They might own something else too. And I mean, Google, it's a little bit less clear. But I think really step one would be for the government to stop approving all of these mergers and purchases of huge companies combining themselves together. I think that's really the only solution you can have to this issue. And I think, I don't know, I don't want to like call people naive because I don't necessarily, I mean, I think I'm kind of smart, but I'm not like a genius or anything. 
but I, I have to wonder if people, how much people have considered this system of control that's being built and what it will be like the next time it's advantageous for these companies to cater to the other side. Because you know it will happen. American politics goes back and forth every mm. decade. Mm. Um, right, right. Things might be going pretty well right now if you're just slightly left of center Democrat. Um, but it wouldn't take much to change for these decisions not to suit your worldview anymore, if that's who you are. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could picture a world where, say, BLM, um, they've been very support. I mean, they've been supportive. The tech companies have been supportive of BLM. They haven't kicked them off or anything, as far as anyone can tell. But I can see a world where maybe BLM, the the, the riots just became too violent, or 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 say they started to attack like the Cooper, the Google Google Cupertino like headquarters or whatever. If that happened, all of a sudden they're going to start censoring BLM, and the left might be like, "What the fuck, man? What are you What are you doing here?" Because I think that's sort of what you're getting at, right? Is like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, this is my cynical worldview. I think these large tech giants have sort of stepped out of their, you know, like isolationist position that they had for quite a while, at least outside of matters of, you know, them making more money. And they've now stepped in and decided to take a more active role in politics. But it seems to me that really all they do is sort of pander to whatever team currently appears to be winning. That's what it would have seemed to be uh, at this time. So if the team changes, there's this, um, you know, there's now this precedent for taking down things that are misleading, uh, you know, inciting violence or whatever. And they also get to decide what is misleading and inciting violence. Well, that's what I think is the most. I'm just saying, like, imagine, like, you know, like Donald Trump Jr. or whatever becomes president, what, like eight years from now? Okay. And he does it with, like, a solid... Um, solid lead and he has a clear political mandate to do i don't know whatever like doing like behavior he wants to take the country into um really my guess is that you know twitter facebook i i think they would sort of harumph about it at first and then they would kind of be like okay what do we have to do to get some good deals from this administration yeah i can I see that, that I mean, you know the cat's out the door it's not going back in I just worry about how much power they really have now. I mean, Google controls so much of the market share of just the internet space. It's, it's, it's almost insane. And I just don't like how, and we all know these devices are listening to us and, and all that and tracking us. And it's like, it's just, it's just scary. It's, it's scary for someone like myself who is uh, doing a podcast with a lot of free thought and free speech type stuff going on and, and free questioning. I don't think my podcast has any hate in it. But I can you still ever, say you again. You ever read your advertising profile? Oh, that's so interesting. No. Google, you there's a place you can click. Um, it's really easy. They give you a list of every single category that they uh, show you targeted ads for. That is so interesting. And it's Google, right? Yeah, yeah. I would love to know. Um, it's probably, uh, I don't know. It's. Uh, I think they probably think that I'm like, I don't know. I don't even know what they think anymore. I, 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 they probably think I'm a conservative though. Cause I keep seeing like, just like stupid, like survival stuff and things like that. Like, I'm like, I don't need this, but uh, I don't know. I looked at mine pretty recently um, for a lot to a large extent. It was pretty spot on, but 
there were some like odd ones like seems to think i'm like a, a married woman <laughs> oh but actually i have ad personalization turned off oh yeah so that that won't work for you so it's i turned that off and i also turned off tracking on google maps turn all as much of the stuff off as i could um because i don't i don't know not really a big fan i mean they're still probably taking more information than i would hope but um i don't need ads i don't need to buy things i don't need i need to just buy things that i already know that i need so it's kind of a, a strange why why have you not turned yours off why have i not turned mine off um you know i I would have to read about it some more. I don't think it actually prevents Google from collecting information about your browsing habits. It just stops the ads themselves from being targeted. Mm. And I actually use Adblock anyway, so I don't actually see ads on the internet. I guess we're, we're running a little low on time right now. Yeah, I was about to say that. Is there um, you know, any, any other topics you want to hit before we sign off for this episode? Oh, well, there's a lot, man. We could go all day, but um, so what do you think the best solution is? I would love to keep going with lots of stuff, but I think the most best thing for the listeners would be to talk about just real quick. What is the best solution for privacy? Is it just to just not care too much? So it sounds like your ad profile is on, you have an ad blocker and you just don't worry about it too much. Um, or is there a way to, is it best to go into your phone and try to turn off as much of that stuff as you can? Apple iOS just premiered this new uh, app tracking technology, actually, it's pretty controversial. This is coming out in the newest, and actually in the last couple of weeks is coming out. I don't even know if it's updated on my phone yet. That it actually, every time you open an app, it'll say, or not every time, but it'll literally say, do you want to give this app permission to track you? And you can actually turn that off. It's very controversial because, you know, these, these, big, these app companies, these big social tech companies, they need your data to, to sell to advertisers to make money. So it's actually a very controversial thing in the tech world. Uh, how do you feel about that? And how do you feel about targeted advertisements in general and how to handle it? Um, so I, I do take some steps to try and, uh, you know, maintain as much privacy as I can. Um, so I guess there's a similar thing on Android or even like in the browser these days, it'll say like such and such wants to access your location. So I think to myself, like, is there anything useful they can provide to me if they have my location? If the answer is no, I just hit no and I check don't ask me again every time um that stuff i kind of doesn't matter that much a website can tell from your ip address roughly where you are anyway um i would say the two big ones are if you're not already using firefox use firefox enable the strict tracking protection enable adblock adblock also prevents a lot of tracking other than that um as much as you can don't you know don't sign up, certainly don't sign up for new social media sites and think about which ones you could live without and delete. Um, do you I, have Facebook on your phone? Do you have Instagram? Do you have uh, I don't Messenger? have any of those apps. I actually, you know, I do have an Instagram, but I haven't logged into it in several years. Um, I have Facebook just because I have a fair amount of friends that I actually have no way to contact other than Facebook. So I haven't been able to pull the plug on that one yet. But aside from that, I do not have any social media that uses my real name. But you seem to be implying that like when you use Facebook, you go through the browser, you're not using the Oh app. yeah, yeah, of course. I think that's pretty advantageous. It's very annoying that actually with Facebook though, it's very hard to use the messenger in app or through browser. I don't even think it's even possible. I, I, I don't know. And I'm pretty sure it's basically impossible to use Instagram without getting the app. 
So they're very, they're very tricky. They're trying to get you. Yeah. You know, Instagram started to be a thing like back at the time I was already getting disinterested in Facebook. So I, I actually have never really used it. Um, just, I don't see very much use for any of these things for a public or a private citizen in general. I mean, other than contacting people, unfortunately, because I've got the podcast, I've got other projects, comedy projects, other sorts of projects, art projects. I kind of need to use these networks yeah, to try to push my, push my message. But, um, but thank you for your advice, man. I have to get on Firefox. I have one more. And, I have one more, got one more for us. I don't right? know if I said this. If you don't already have it, download and install Signal. Use it for all of your communications as much as you can. So, when I, but you're not using Signal, right? When we we text, we weren't using Signal, were we? I mean, I don't demand that people use Signal, but if you have it, I always prefer to use Signal. Telegram is okay too. There are some like trade-offs between the two that nerds can get into, but Telegram is also pretty good. Nice, man. Well, it's interesting though that you did, it's not super integrated though, I guess yet with your phone because you didn't know that I also have the Signal app, I guess. You would because you probably would have texted me on signal if you had known right i mean you know real life is always kind of messy like just because someone has signal installed doesn't mean i can assume they will get notifications so usually yeah. if i'm going back and forth with somebody a while i'll be like hey do you have signal or do you have telegram can we move this chat there got you yeah, my parents my parents got on yeah. there they're very paranoid individuals so i, I, I still call them That's paranoid good you should concerned about privacy. your friends and family to do it yeah, signal's cool, man. Telegram's cool. I like this. I like the. I like the encrypted stuff. I like the decentralized, more decentralized stuff. I don't like the big powers that be, like monarch, monarchically high priests, like telling us what we can and cannot say. Even though I get their point, man. I'm not, not into hate. I'm not into Nazis. I'm not into white power. All that shit sucks. But at the same time, I don't want them to one day. They're gonna censor this. What if they're like censor this podcast because I talked about their COVID policy? That's the type of shit I'm concerned about. Like, it's it like, don't happen. question our authority. What's that? I'm, it could certainly happen. Not necessarily because some human made, you know, a, a silly decision, but just because an algorithm is just searching for certain, you know, sentiment analysis, like keywords. Right. You know, maybe the fact that you say COVID and Joe Rogan, same podcast. Uh -uh. We're screwed. Can't get taken down, put into the manual review queue. It's, it is very Orwellian, man. It's very much like, oh, it, it's not only deleted, it's like it never happened. That's the other thing cool about blockchain is like the ledger is supposedly immutable. You can go, always go back and take a look and see what was there. But Google can make, uh, can make Alex Jones disappear, you know? They can, make, they can make Karam Anthony disappear too if I'm not careful. But I mean, I'm not really doing Alex Jones shit. It's just, you gotta look at the, it starts with the extreme cases and that's what they take out first. But like you said, it could always swing to the other side. It could always get more moderate. You never know when the censorship's gonna end. But thank you for uh, taking the time out of your day, Sam, and uh, enlightening us a little bit about computers. I would love to talk, do it again, man, sometime. Maybe you can come up oh, here. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe we can do it in person this summer, maybe another Zoom, however it happens. Um, I'm sure we can think of more fun things to talk about for now. Well, we got the whole rest of that list. I sent you. We didn't even get to the half of it. So next time, I guess we'll have to talk a little bit about machine learning and AI and all that stuff, all that fun stuff. All right. Looking forward to it. All right, dude. Good to see you. Uh, I'm going to. I guess I'm going to sign off, but uh, yeah, man, I'll, I'll talk to you soon. I guess right. I'll signal. See you later, dude. See you, bro. Peace. But that's it, man. That's it. I hope you had a good time. I hope you got some practical words of wisdom from Sam there. Uh, interesting takes on 
targeted advertising and what apps and what apps to not have on your phone and you know all that stuff how to throw a wrench in the old uh social media framework and how to be less tracked and less profiled that's sort of i guess important probably right privacy human rights good stuff right good stuff <laughs> um but yeah that's it and that's that baby uh, next week tune in next week We've got a special episode on 420 with my friend Tony Jeremino. Next week, he's gonna talk about the future of video games. VR, PS6s, PS7s, Super Smash Bros, and all the rest of it. Maybe we're gonna even talk about cloud streaming services and how that could revolutionize gaming. So look for that next week. Uh, in the meantime, please like or subscribe on YouTube, Deep Homie K, uh, for the podcast. Look for the Deep Homie Clips on YouTube, where we're gonna take the highlights of each episode and. Throw up 5, 10, 15 minute clips on there. Shorter bites. Follow me on Instagram, uh, Deep Homie K. Follow my boy, my co-host, Paul Wood at Paul Makes Stuff. And that's it and that's that, man. That's all there is to it. Deep Homie Guide to the 21st Century. Remember, guys, always keep it deep.